Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. What is up, Project Church? Thank you so much for joining us for this church online once again. Uh, Man, this has become our new normal. And I just want to thank you guys for engaging in the life of our church online. It's been an incredible season that we've been in. It's one none of us saw coming, but it's one that I see God doing a lot of great things in us, in our church, and I'm just so thankful for the Project Church community. And uh, if you're new here, this is your first time joining us for an online service, we just want to welcome you. We're so glad you came to worship with us online, and uh, we just can't wait to get you, get to know you more in the future. But hey, I am continuing a series today called Asking for a Friend. We are now in week three, uh, the third of four weeks. Next week um, is our final week, and uh, I want to encourage you guys to come back. Christy's going to be sharing from God's Word. Um, But today I want to answer a question, and it's the question, is the Bible really God's Word? So we've been walking through these tough questions, these questions that we get a lot, that some of you um, have asked, that people are asking you. And uh, this is one that I've come to uh, today that I was thinking about an interaction I had a few years back. You see, after a Sunday morning service, I had a guy come to me and uh, he grabbed me in the lobby and he pulled me aside and he said, hey, Caleb, I just want you to know, like, I'm not a Christian. In fact, I consider myself an atheist. Um, I had a friend invite me and so I just came here because I wanted to um, check you guys out. And, And he even said, and probably judge you a little bit. And he said to me, he said, I heard you teaching and, and, and giving people a lot of like great instruction, but it was all from God's word. And I just wanted to tell you, like, I don't believe the Bible is from God. I don't believe that it's God's word. I believe that it's man. It's from man. It's man's writings. And I think this is probably something, a conversation, um, an interaction you've had, something similar with someone in your life. I had this conversation with him. And I'm guessing you've had some of these same conversations. And so this is a question that, that I've gotten. It's a question that um, I think as Christians, we've had these conversations with other people about this topic. And so today I want to dig into some apologetics, essentially. And apologetics are, uh, is classified, and the definition of that is the defense of the faith. And so I want to do this looking at... Uh, the scriptures or the word of God, the Bible, what we call the canon, um, what has been included in God's word. Now, I'm going to do something that I've actually never done because when he said this to me, he's like, how can you prove it to me? And in that moment, I was like, well, church just ended and we're about to start church. I don't know. This is the time. Like, why don't we get coffee? Let's sit down and talk. Um, And then I remember sitting down with him and laying out, you know, with him all the reasons But I used a lot of scriptures to prove my point that the scriptures were from God. And uh, that didn't fly too well with him because he was like, I mean, you're using the Bible to prove the Bible. I don't really get that. So I'm going to do something today that I've actually never done. And I'm going to do something today that I believe is going to really challenge us. And I hope strengthen you and your belief in the word of God, um, but also in you moving forward and you sharing with other people about this. I'm going to uh, prove to the best of my ability that the Bible is really God's word without using 
the Bible, all right, without using God's word. We are going to get to some scriptures at the very end. Um, but I want to do this because I think that this is something that, that people are asking. And if you say, well, this scripture says this about the Bible, um, they're like, that's nice. Uh, but, but what can we look at looking back at history, looking back at, at really some practical things to prove that God's word really is, the Bible is really from God. It's really God's word. So uh, I think skeptics exist, and I'm okay with skeptics. In fact, some of you are skeptical. I've always been a skeptic myself. And yet I've come to this, this point um, of faith, of, of faith in the Word of God, and I've been on this journey of faith. But I was thinking about it because I think the Bible, um, our Christian faith really hinges, and it requires faith in the Bible. Like, our Christian faith hinges that we believe that the Bible is from God. And this is why this is such an important conversation for us to have today of, is this really God's word? Is this really from God? Uh, we actually have core values at our church. We call them blueprints. And one of them is that the Bible is our guide. We believe that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant word of God. Now, what does that mean? It means it's infallible, it's without mistake. Uh, it's in inerrant, it's from him. Um, we believe that this is something that was given from God to us to help us follow God in this world and to live out our purpose in this world. So many people would say, and I've had people say this to me, like you can't take the Bible literally. It's not trustworthy. It's not accurate historically. And one of the big arguments too is that it's actually culturally regressive. Now, I, I want to address this really quick because I think that there are a lot of people and there are even Christians that think and believe that the Bible is culturally regressive. And I would tell you, like, it is. <laughs> and what I mean by that is the Bible does not always align with what culture says or how culture, uh, you know, specifically points us in how we should live our lives. And that's why I'm always challenging our church that we wouldn't live um, with a, a, a mindset that is in line only with culture. We would live with a mindset that is in line with God's word. We want to have a biblical mindset, a biblical approach to how we live out our faith and even live out everything on this planet. Now, it's interesting when we think about this idea of being like culturally regressive, because I think what's happened is for us today in this day and age, we think like we know it all. We think we are enlightened. We think we're aware. We think we've arrived. Um, you know, there's this narrative that we've arrived um, you know, morally and ethically. And yet if we look back just 20 years, just 50 years, just 100 years, there's things that looking back at, at people from our past, past generations, we'd say, man, they did not get it. And one day they'll say the same thing about us. But what my challenge to you is not, is that we would not allow culture to dictate um, our mindset, but we would have a biblical mindset in how we walk out practically life on this earth. So I want to jump in here today and I want to talk to you about how we can know that the Bible is actually God's word. So look, there are 66 books with around 35 authors. And yet we believe, right? It was written over a thousand, thousands of years, Old Testament, New Testament. We believe that all of this is from God and inspired by God. And so I want to talk to you about how do we know that the Bible is God's word. So first, I want to look at some historical accuracy. 
So I remember uh, being a youth pastor when the Da Vinci Code came out. And I don't know if any of you remember the Da Vinci Code. Um, it was turned into a movie, a book written by Dan Brown. And I had so many of my students, young adults, because I was a youth and young adult pastor, coming to me really questioning the accuracy of the Bible because this book told a story. And in this story, it essentially said that Jesus had a relationship with Mary Magdalene and they had children and then their children had children, and the, the line, the lineage of Jesus is still alive on this earth. Now, people read this, and it just threw, like, everything they believed, their faith, um, it, it threw it into chaos. And I had a lot of people come to me struggling with this and wrestling with this. And it was funny to me, because I'm looking at this book, and I, and I was like, hey, I, I'm pretty sure this book is in the fiction section, I'm pretty sure this is a made-up story. Even Dan Brown says it's a made-up story. But here's what threw people off. I want to read a little excerpt from the very beginning of the book. This is how the book starts. It says this. All descriptions of artwork, architecture, documents, and secret rituals in the novel are accurate. So what did Dan Brown do in The Da Vinci Code? He threw in this little statement at the beginning. And it had like its own paragraph. And he said, all of these things are accurate. They're factual. Now, is that true? Like, yeah, there was artwork and architecture and documents and secret rituals that he researched. And he threw it into a fictional story, which gave some people this idea that this was actually a true story. Now, this is what the enemy loves to do to us. He loves to take a little bit of truth and throw in some fiction, throw in some lies to get us fixated on wrong things. And this is what the deceiver does. That's, you know, what, what the, the devil's name means. It literally means deceiver. That's what he wants to do. He wants to deceive us. So that's why we have to be so careful in this world with what we're reading, what we're consuming. Um, I was thinking about, and, and it came across this other quote from uh, a woman named Anne Rice. Now, some of you have heard of her. She's an author. She wrote Interview with a Vampire. She grew up Catholic, married an atheist, and then became an atheist herself a prominent um, critic of Christianity and the Bible. And recently, a few years back, she came back to faith in Christ. And here's what she said. She said, some books that she read were no more than assumptions piled on assumptions. Conclusions were reached based on little or no data at all. The whole case for the non-divine Jesus who stumbled into Jerusalem and somehow got crucified the whole picture which had floated around the liberal circles I frequented as an atheist for 30 years, that case was not made. Not only was it not made, I discovered in this field some of the worst and most biased scholarship I'd ever read. So here's what happened to Anne Rice. She became an atheist, but as she began to research and study and learn, she realized and recognized that most of the, the writings, the criticism against the accuracy of the Bible and even the accuracy of Jesus' life and how it's been depicted in the scriptures— was based on and, and was built around assumptions, conclusions with little to no data at all. And I think this should encourage us because we have people trying to tell us that, oh, there's all these contradictions in the word of God. Oh, there's all these, um, you know, historical inaccuracies in the word of God. And I believe that when we really dig in, that that doesn't hold up. It doesn't stand up. And so I want to do something. I want to walk through a couple slides with you. They're going to pop up on the screen for me right now. And uh, what I found is that one of the reasons that 
people say like we can't trust the Bible is because there's, there's been changes to the original text. And that was one of the big arguments that Dan Brown made in his book was that, oh, they changed it. They, they hid that Jesus, you know, had a relationship with Mary Magdalene and, and these scriptures were changed along the way. And uh, as we really research this, I just want to show, show you that I don't believe that's possible. And I think historically, um, the accuracy shows us that it's not possible. So first I want to look at, um, I want to look at some other texts, some other writings that we accept that we read in English classes, that we, you know, quote um, in, in other books. And I want to look at them and the gap between the original manuscript and then the, the copy we have in existence today. So I want to first look at Homer and Iliad. So this was written in 900 BC. And the date for the earliest copy um, that we now have in existence, that we have physically, right? Because all of these were copies of copies, is is 400 BC. So this is a gap of 500 years, 500 years later. Second, I want to look at the writings of Aristotle. So many of you know the writers of the writings of Aristotle. These are quoted in philosophy classes and whatnot. So originally written around 384 BC to 322 BC. And yet the earliest copy we have in existence today is from 1100 AD. Now, this is a gap of 1400 years from the original to the earliest manuscript that we have in existence today. Almost 1,500 years, all right? That's, that's a long time. Next is the Quran, all right? So this is the, the you know, scriptures of Islam. So the original written in 600 AD with the, the actual most recent, earliest copy in existence today being 790 to 800 AD. So what are we looking at? We're looking at a gap of 158 to 190 years later. So that's actually, you know, a smaller gap. They're getting smaller. Then we can look at the Greek New Testament. So originally written um, around 40 to 100 AD because it was written over a, a period of years with, you know, multiple authors. And then the original, the, the earliest copy in existence that we have today is 125 AD, or a gap of 25 years, the smallest gap. So what is this telling us? This is telling us that there is a very small window of copies that were, you know, there were copies of copies, and then a lot of them broke down, but we still have one in existence with a very small gap from the original written. And then I want to take a look at this because we have a lot of remaining copies of text. Because again, these are copies of copies that have been passed down. Um, they're now in museums and in places where they're trying to preserve them. Of Homer and Iliad, which I brought attention to earlier, we have 643 copies. That's a lot. Writings of Aristotle, we have 49 copies. The Quran or the Quran, we have two copies. And of the Greek New Testament, we have 14,000 copies still in existence today. So what does this tell us? This tells us that historically, the accuracy, when you have that many different copies and you compare them, it's going to be that much more accurate. And yet we take, without even thinking, these other writings, Homer and Iliad, writings of Aristotle, even the Quran, like, oh yeah, there's no way it was changed over time. When we have the Greek New Testament, so many copies that they can, they can compare. In fact, um, a few decades ago, 
the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in a cave um, near Israel. And they pulled these out and they had been preserved for thousands of years. And they compared them with the, the original, with the text that we have today. And it was astounding at how accurate the texts we have today were in comparison to these Dead Sea Scrolls. See, these Dead Sea Scrolls were a huge win for Christianity because it said, it, what it told us was, things have not been changed by man. In fact, these things are still accurate. Now, I wanted to share these with you because I think this can encourage us that we can know, look, we have an accuracy in the Bible that is unparalleled when you look at other writings and other teachings. So we have an Old Testament, we have a New Testament, a covenant with the Jews that then became a covenant with all people. That's what Jesus did. He said, I'm the fulfillment of the law. He said, I'm now making a covenant with all people. It's for all mankind. The gospels were written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, from an eyewitness account. Then the letters were written by other apostles, and these letters were circulated among the church. Paul wrote, you know, a third of the New Testament, many of these letters. John wrote some of these letters. And what happened was in, three, in 300s AD, at the Council of Nicaea, they decided what is going to go into the New Testament. We have the Old Testament. It's been passed down from generation to generation. But now what is going to go in the New Testament? And what they did was they had two qualifications. First, that it had to be prophetically authored. It had to be written by someone who had seen Jesus and spent time with Jesus in person. And second, it had to be widely accepted by the local churches. These were letters that were already being spread. And so I just want to encourage you with that because I think that we look at this New Testament and sometimes people will argue, oh, it's been changed. Oh, it's been altered by man. Um, and why was this included in, in our New Testament? It was included because there were copies in, in circulation that they compared and the accuracy was so close. They said this can be accepted. Not only that, but it was written by someone who spent time with Jesus. So it was prophetically from God. These were people who had been taught by Jesus, spent time with Jesus, were mentored by Jesus, were invested in by Jesus. And they wrote scriptures that we now, you know, look at and apply to our lives today. Now there's this other argument. In fact, Dan Brown made this argument and he said, well, when Christianity really took hold, was when the emperor of Rome, Constantine, in around 300 AD, made it the national religion. And, and this is a true statement. Constantine did do this. In around 300 AD, he said, we're going to make Christianity the national religion of Rome. And Rome had control of much of the Middle East at this time. But we don't realize is that Constantine did this because Christianity had already won. Christianity had already spread so far and so wide and was being practiced by, you know, hundreds of thousands, upward of millions of people in the Middle East that he just said, well, everyone's already like accepted this, so I'm just going to make it official. And this is an argument that Dan Brown made in his, in his book, The Da Vinci Code, that I believe has, it has no validity to it. And so first I said, we can know the Bible is God's word according to the historical accuracy. Second is we can know the Bible is God's word according to theological, logical reasons. All right, I know that sounded kind of redundant, but they're theological, logical reasons. Now, theology is the study of God. And uh, one book puts it this way, one theology book says, it's thinking about God. And there are people who've given their lives to studying theology. Uh, I, I 
got a master's degree uh, in theology, in theological studies many years ago. And I, I had to read a book, actually multiple versions of it, Systematic Theology, the system in place of studying God, right? Studying the things of God. And it was a book like this thick, and it wasn't the most exciting read, but I learned a lot through it. There are people who have dedicated their life to this. And uh, what I found, like, we believe a few things, and I just want to state them real quick for us. We believe that Jesus is the only one true God. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. We believe that the Holy Spirit completes the Trinity, that God has come to us um, through the Holy Spirit, and he now lives in us and gives us power every single day. We believe that salvation is by grace and grace alone. All of these things together are what we call theology. And I've come to believe that the Bible teaches these things because there is so much truth in the system of understanding who God is. There's power in it. So here's what I, I, I came with you today is this, like, what about the person that doesn't believe in the Bible. They don't believe the Bible. And that was really our point today, right? That's what I was really trying to accomplish today. I was trying to prove the Bible without using the Bible. So I also want to say this. I have come to believe these things, this theology, based completely and solely on the foundation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate pillar of our faith. For me as a Christian, every theological thought hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So every study of God that I take hinges on the resurrection of Christ. So if, if the resurrection of Christ can be disproved, or if the resurrection of Christ didn't happen, then I believe all of this was for naught. And everything that we stand for and that we preach means nothing because there's one thing that sets Jesus apart from every other God from, and that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. And that's that our God died, our savior died, but he didn't stay dead. He conquered death and he's the only one that ever claimed he would do it and then actually did it. And so I, I wanna just show us right now, the theological, logical reasons are, are that Jesus died, but didn't stay dead. And here's why, all right? First, and these all start with E, there's the empty tomb. There's many that have tried to prove that Jesus Christ rose from the grave um, that have not been successful. And why is that? Because of second, the eyewitnesses. The early eyewitnesses believed the resurrection to the point that they were willing to die for it. They were willing to die for their belief. In fact, many of them did. They believed in the empty tomb. They died because of the empty tomb. People die all the time, and people die often even for something that is a lie. But the difference here is that if the resurrection was not really true, and those that said it was true knew that it was not true, then why would they be dying for a lie that they knew to be a lie? And that's a big difference. You see, people die for lies, but they're lies that they actually believe are true. These people died for what they believed was true and they gave their life for was true because they knew it was true. And we know it because from, from scripture and from other even documents that over 500 people saw Jesus alive after his death and crucifixion on that cross. The eyewitness accounts go on and on. Third is the emergence of the church. How could the church take off as it did 
without the reality of the resurrection. You see, the truth of the resurrection and the eyewitnesses of the resurrection that were so motivated by the belief in this Christ who proved himself to be God and came back from the dead, they were so motivated that they spread the gospel across the globe. And it continues to spread 2,000 years later to this day. And then I want to say my own personal experience. You know, as the hymn writer actually says, I don't know if you like hymns, but every once in a while I like to go back. He says, he walks with me and he talks with me. And you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Or there's a more modern song that says, I know my redeemer lives. I spoke to him this morning. You see, I I can say it from my perspective that a theological, logical reason is because I've experienced God in my life. I've heard his voice. He's touched me when I, when I was in my moment of need. He's lifted me up when I was desperate. I, I, I've sensed him. I've seen his power. I've seen him do healings through me. I've seen him heal my life. My, and not just you know spiritually, but physically he's healed me. Third today, how we can know that the Bible is God's word is prophetic reasons. Now, Sometimes we think about this word of the prophetic and, and we think of it like, what is, what is prophecy? What is something being prophetic? Well, first of all, a prophecy or something prophetic is always an encouragement. It's something meant for edifying or building up the church. But also this idea of prophecy gives us and, and has with it the connotation of predicting something in the future that will or could come true. And so as we begin to think about this and this idea Another reason I believe that the Bible is God's word that is true is because the Bible validates itself with accuracy of prophetic predictions. So I know I said I'm not going to use the Bible um, to prove the Bible, but I am in that the Bible predicted things that came true in real life, right? In real life, these things came true. And I could give you many examples, but God very clearly entered into a covenant with Abraham about the promise of a land in a little strip of of the Middle East that is now called Israel. And over the scores of years that have passed, there have been numerous threats to its security of that land, um, discipline from God involving that land, but the descendants of Abraham continue to inhabit and occupy that land to this day, something that was predicted thousands of years ago by Scripture. The prophets of the Old Testament prophesied and predicted that invaders from the north would overtake the land of Israel and send many of the inhabitants of Israel into exile. This took place, and then they returned. Another feature that dominates the prophets of the Old Testament is the correct prophecy of the Messiah. And again, it's not just Jesus' resurrection that convinces me. It's also the prophetic um, minute details, the prophetic details of what the Messiah would look like and how he would come into this world that Jesus fulfilled. You see, Jesus fulfilled at least 50 of 300 Old Testament prophecies. Now, some would say that he fulfilled as many as 100 of the 300 Old Testament prophecies. And there's a a researcher named Peter Stone, and in his classic book, Science Speaks, he calculated the chance of any man fulfilling even 50 of these prophecies, which some would say only only fulfilled 50 of them. 
the chance of any man fulfilling only 50 of these prophecies, even down to the present time, like even if it was all of history to today in 2020, was 10 to the 17th power. Or if, I don't know, we throw this number up for me, but one in one with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 30, 40, 50, 16, 17 zeros after it. This is a big number. Those are the odds of someone fulfilling, a man fulfilling even 50 of the prophecies that were presented in the Old Testament. And this is what Jesus did. What did Jesus fulfill? He was born in Bethlehem, predicted in the Old Testament. He was preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist, which was pr predicted in the Old Testament. He entered Jerusalem on a donkey or a colt. He was betrayed by a friend who received 30 pieces of silver. He was silent before his accusers. He died in the manner Romans used for crim criminals of crucifixion, during which they pierced his hands and feet. These are just a few of the many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled with his life. So for me, some prophetic reasons are that we see time and time again that God fulfills the prophecies through his son, Jesus. He's fulfilled them through uh, his covenant with, with the people of Israel, the, the people of Abraham, and he continues to fulfill them even today in our lives. And then fourth, the fourth reason that I would say that the Bible is truly God's word is for personal reasons. You see, I think about this and I think about this idea that I find conviction in God's word. Not condemnation as Chrissy talked about last week. I find conviction in God's word. I look at the Bible and I started reading it in the sixth grade. I was in sixth grade and I said, I'm going to read a proverb a day. There's 31 books or chapters in the book of Proverbs. And I said, I'm going to read one a day and I would read one a day. And I've watched as the truth of these scriptures has enhanced my life. It's changed how I think. It's changed how I talk. It's changed how I live. I've watched as I follow the path of the word of God and how it's always put me on a right trajectory. And it's always set me up for the best life for personal reasons. I would tell you and I would implore you that the Bible truly is God's word. And when you allow it to be the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path, it changes everything. So listen, church, if the Bible is the word of God, what are we going to do? You see, first, if the Bible is God's, if the Bible is truly the word of God, it's encouraging to know that we have a way to hear God's voice and follow his direction. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, I was reading recently how 70% of men will never finish an entire book after high school. And I, I read that, and I thought to myself, like, what a tragedy. And so some of you men are out there, you're like, that's me. <laughs> I haven't finished a book since high school. That's okay. But I would tell you, and I would encourage you, people come to me all the time and they say, how do I hear God's voice? How do I know God's will? You know, how, how do I know what God wants for my life? How do I take the right step and do the right thing? And I tell them all the time, look, the primary way that God speaks to us is through his word. 
The primary way God gives you direction is through his word. Yeah, he speaks through other people. Yeah, he speaks through prayer. But we have this book, 66 books for us to, to dig into and to learn from and to dive into. And God gives us direction with it. So, man, if the Bible is the word of God, what, what do we need to know? We need to know that we have a way to hear from God. Hear his voice and follow his direction. Second is we have a foundation for our life. I look around this world and I see a world that is looking for something to plant its feet on. It's looking for a firm foundation. And I think that this, this whole pandemic and COVID-19, you know what it's done? It's removed the foundation that so many of us stood on. A culture that was standing on politics, a culture that was standing on money, a culture that was standing on sports, a culture that was standing on all these idols, a culture that was standing on its accomplishments and its jobs and its economy. And all these things have been stripped away. And so what's happening now is people are panicking and they're desperate and they're afraid and they're fearful. And, and I want to tell you, the reason they are is because their feet have been planted on the wrong thing. The Bible is the foundation for our life. If we plant our feet on the word of God, I want to tell you, we will always be able to stand firm. It doesn't matter what happens, if we lose our job, if money dries up, if the economy is suffering, if there's a pandemic happening, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. If we are firmly planted on the word of God, we can stand no matter what situation or circumstance we might face. So if the Bible is the word of God, it's, it should be encouraging to us that we have a foundation for our life. We need a biblical worldview, church. Third, if the Bible is the word of God, we can understand the nature of God. Man, I'm so thankful that I can know the nature of my God. And I said this a couple of weeks back, but I just want to remind us of it. This, this script, these scriptures show us the heart of the Father. They show us the nature of our God. And that's why we need to dig into them and read them. Psalm 147.5 says this, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. Another version says, Great is our Lord and greatly to be praised. His understanding is beyond measure. Listen, the, the heart of our God the greatness of our God is beyond our understanding. But what's so cool is as we read the word of God, we can understand a glimpse of the nature of God, of the heart of God, of the spirit of God, one that he wants to pour out upon us. And then last, if the Bible is the word of God, we can find our purpose. We're all looking for purpose. We're all trying to figure out what is my purpose in this life, in this time, in this world. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Listen to me, church. God has a purpose for you and it's found in his word. You see, the word tells us that our prim primary purpose is to worship. It tells us in Romans chapter 12, it says that let our lives be a spiritual act of worship. You know that you were created to worship that your life was meant to be worshiped to God. But what's cool about God is he gives us a primary purpose and our primary purpose is to worship. We worship him with our jobs, with our money, in our relationships, with our words, with, with, with everything that we do in this life. We, we worship him. And yet he gives us little secondary purposes along the way. He calls us to things. He calls us to dream. He calls us to plant. He calls us to water. He calls us to, 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 to launch and initiate and create. And he gives us so many opportunities in this world 
to fulfill the little purposes that he lays out for us along the way. But we need the word of God to find our purpose. We need the word of God to, to light our, our purpose. I said earlier, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. So I just want to encourage you today, church. Look, the word of God is power packed. It's purpose filled. It, it plants us on firm foundation and it launches us into all that God has for us. But at the end of the day, this Bible this Bible that we say is truly God's word, it's all about one person and his name is Jesus. I said it to you earlier that, that the foundation of this belief in the word of God all hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. And I wanna tell you once again, you maybe have heard this before or maybe you never have. Maybe you've heard this, but you've doubted the validity of the word of God. I just wanna, I, I wanna challenge you and I wanna implore you today that you would begin to put your faith in a God that made a lot of predictions, but followed through on them. He made a lot of like, a, bit, a, a lot of big statements, but he followed through on it every time. And I wanna challenge you, I wanna implore you, because I think some of us have been walking through and we've looked at the Bible and we've been skeptical and I've been there at times in my life and we've had doubt and, and, and we go, I don't know, there's contradiction. And at some point, you have to come to a place where you decide to either believe or not, to have faith or not. And so I would say to you today, the best decision you can make today is to believe, to have faith, and to put that faith in a Savior Jesus who made a, a lot of predictions and some amazing promises, but followed through on it every single time. You see, he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to give my life as a ransom for many, and, and I don't do it um, unwillingly. I do it of my own volition. Why? Because I love you, because I came for you. See, this whole Bible hinges on Jesus coming with a rescue plan to save us. And so I would tell you today, put your faith in Jesus. He will be your firm foundation. He will give you, you purpose. He will project you and launch you into the future and, and the potential that you have inside of you, but it's only through him and not through you. So today, church, as we close, I wanna ask you all that you would be praying. If you have a relationship with Jesus, that you'd be praying. If you've, uh, uh, you know, given your life to Jesus, you surrender your heart to Jesus, I want you to be praying because here's what I wanna do right now. I wanna ask you, some of you out there that are listening to this, that are watching this, that you've been walking skeptical, you've been walking in doubt, you've been walking maybe even cynical, and today God is challenging you. He's saying, believe in my word and believe in my son. And the Bible tells us if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, he raised from the dead that we will be saved. Somebody out there needs to surrender today to push off the skepticism and, and the doubt and, 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 and the questions and to say, once and for all, I'm gonna believe. Now, does that mean you're not gonna doubt at times? No, you still might. Does that mean you're, you're never gonna have a question? No, you still will. But you choose faith. You see, faith is a choice. And today you have an opportunity to choose. So 
I'm gonna ask you that you would pray with me right now, all of you out there. And if you would say with me today, if you would say, I I'm believing, I'm believing that the Bible is God's word and I'm believing in Jesus Christ. I'm putting my faith in him. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming on a rescue mission for me. I ask you today to forgive me, to change me, to wash me clean. Today, I choose faith. Today, I choose Jesus. Today, I choose to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, we are rejoicing with you. If you made that decision, uh, man, it's, the Bible tells us that the angels in heaven are rejoicing if you made that decision today. Church, may we walk away from this having a greater resolve that the Bible truly is God's word. May we walk out of this um, saying, you know what, I'm going to choose faith over skepticism, over doubt in a world that wants to make us question everything that we would choose faith and we would walk out of this stronger than we came in. Listen, if you just raise your hand, we'd love to connect with you. There's gonna be a, a link below if you prayed that prayer with me. Uh, click that link. Um, we just wanna help you grow in your faith journey. We wanna walk, come alongside you and walk this out with you. But we're so thankful for all of you jumping online, worshiping with us. Thanks for joining us for church online today. We can't wait to see you next week. God bless you guys. We're praying for you. And hey, we're in this together. We hope this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is gonna be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But well, I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.